This is Stefan from Studying Pixels, and you are listening to a replay episode where we select older episodes that we have done and that we think deserve another batch of attention. This time around, I chose a particularly inspiring, but also pragmatically helpful interview conversation that we did on January 16th, 2022. That was episode 16, titled Learning Japanese with Video Games, with Matt, who is active on YouTube as Game Gengo. That is Game Gengo. Matt, he makes super amazing videos that I still like to watch, and he has helped me a lot in improving my Japanese listening comprehension, my reading comprehension, and ultimately my ability to play video games in Japanese, which is something that I still thoroughly enjoy. It's a very helpful conversation because it, there are lots of hands-on tips of how you can make progress with learning Japanese. And I also remember that we actually did the intro for our episode in Japanese back then. So lots of fun to be had there. Here we go. Episode 16, learning Japanese with a video game. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome everyone to Studying Pixels, your favorite game studies and video game culture podcast. This time around, we're going to talk about learning Japanese with video games, and that's why we thought, why don't we do our intro in Japanese? And this is how it goes. Minasan, konnichiwa. Game kenkyu to ka, game bunka nitsuite, studying pixels podcast o. いてます。ドイツから芸務研究学者シテファンシーモンです。テキサスから日本語学者ダンヒューズです。そしてマイシュの日曜日にすべてポッドキャストアプリで放送しています。じゃあ始めましょうか。よし。よし、始めましょう。
mm, it's not all that fancy. Like, we promote our <laughs> weekly episodes on there, and we have these tiny short clips, and I try to do my best, but I don't have such a profound understanding of Instagram as many of you out there might have. So we're looking for someone who would be curious to join the Studying Pixels team, like become a proper part of the team in order to build up a Studying Pixels Instagram channel. And that should not just be simply promoting the weekly podcast episodes, because yes, that's cool and that's a part of it, but it should be more than that. So you should be curious to want to create some native Instagram content on game studies and video game culture. Build a proper Studying Pixels Instagram page. We would really love to hear from you. We have to say, for the sake of transparency, that this is not a paid gig because we all don't get paid on Studying Pixels. At the moment, we are still working on covering our own spendings when it comes to the project, our regular outgoings. So that's why, in all fairness and with all transparency, uh, we can't pay you, at least at the moment. This is a mere passion project. But if you are curious still and you want to join us, then go to studyingpixels.com slash contact. That is studyingpixels.com slash contact to reach out. We'd be very happy to hear from you. And you'd get to work with Pixelcoon, which is kind of a reward in and of itself. At least I do say so myself. Yes, a pixel hug. <laughs> That's what you can get. <laughs> That's currently what we're being paid in. <laughs> That's what we're being paid in, pixel hugs. But hey, if you want to help us, everyone out there, in you know, paying people that are on the team, maybe even reimbursing our spendings for this project and covering the expenses, then you can, of course, become a Studying Pixels Plus member. You will get a lovely I Am Studying Pixels sticker that you can put wherever you like. Throughout the last week, I actually saw a couple of tweets, people tweeting out that they received the sticker and putting it on their laptops and so on. It's like, it's pretty cool, I must say. It's a very wonderful feeling. It was very cool. And uh, I see that I'm not alone in um, marking down the value of my laptop with stickers. Although, as you said, Stefan, perhaps marking the value up somehow. <laughs> that will all depend on how much Pixelcoon will be worth as an NFT in the future. <laughs> but anyway, what you also get if you become a member of Studying Pixels Plus is a monthly bonus episode that we do exclusively for Studying Pixels Plus members. And for this month, for January 2022, we're doing an episode titled 10 Tips to Nail Your Next Presentation. Because we want to help you when it comes to presenting properly in a seminar or at any kind of other occasion where you'd have to do a presentation. And I can at least say that these 10 tips, they're not all obvious. There are some obvious ones in there, mm. but not all of them are obvious. And I think it's well worth just taking the time to look into how to improve one's presentation game, considering how many presentations you might do throughout your life. Especially if you're a particularly nervous uh, public speaker, I think we we address really well how to prepare, how to present, and how to kind of get over those jitters a little bit. So if you want to hear that, then you can get Studying Pixels Plus by going to studyingpixels.com slash plus to find out. 2022 leiden weltweit immer noch Millionen Menschen an Hunger. Deshalb hat Share, die soziale Marke aus Berlin, sich vorgenommen, etwas gegen den Welthunger zu unternehmen. Ziel ist es, bis zum Welternährungstag am 16. Oktober eine Million Mahlzeiten in Ernährungsprojekte zu spenden. Kauf ein Share-Food-Produkt und hilf mit, das Ziel zu erreichen. 
und ein Zeichen gegen den Welthunger zu setzen. Share.eu slash snack für snack. More. In our main story today, we're going to talk about learning Japanese with video games. Because one of the most common reasons that people give when they say why they want to learn Japanese is enjoying Japanese media, manga, anime, and of course, video games in their original language. However, as many of you know, language acquisition is a long and sometimes tedious journey. Luckily, though, there are a whole lot of resources out there that can help you in doing that journey. The YouTube channel GameGengo, so GameGengo, is one of them. It is a channel that enjoys great popularity with nearly 12,000 subscribers today. And on his channel, Matt goes through popular Japanese video games, such as Final Fantasy VII Remake, Animal Crossing New Horizons, or Persona 5, and he goes through them step by step, explaining grammar and meaning. He's got lots of supplementary material and extensive videos on grammar, on verbs, on terminology, on kanji especially. So much supplementary material that people can follow along and improve their Japanese comprehension while at the same time enjoying their favorite video games. So who else would be a better guest for this topic to talk about how to learn Japanese with video games. I'm very glad that he is now joining us from Kyoto. Hi, Matt. Good to have you here. Hello. Hey, guys. You obviously connect two things very closely together. That is video games, Japanese video games, and the Japanese language, studying and teaching Japanese. But which of these interests in your biography came first? Were you first involved with JRPGs and Japanese video games in general, or with the Japanese language? My passion was definitely video games first and foremost. It was one of the first things I ever did as a human being was um, immerse myself in video games uh, back in the old... I, I started with like a Commodore 64, if you guys know what that is, like really old school. I used to love playing like Gremlins and The Labyrinth uh, on like old school typing adventure games. I think the first video game that came from Japan that I really got into was Street Fighter, Sonic, and and later uh, Final Fantasy. So definitely video games came first before my love for uh, Japanese. That's very similar with me. And I, I find that when people ask me, um, all right, Dan, why Japanese? My go-to, my go-to answer is, well, video games mostly. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what kicked me off. I find that interesting because when I joined my first Japanese course, I think the most common reasons for why people started studying Japanese were either manga, anime, or video games. Mm. And sometimes I encountered a little bit of saltiness when it comes to that, like as if it's a, a little bit of like an inferior reason to study a language that you just want to play. You want to play Final Fantasy in its original language, for example, like as if that is not a proper motivation. Uh, what would you say to that, Matt? Obviously, you wouldn't agree, I assume. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, but, but I, I understand where it comes from, right? You, mm. you have people who uh, originally education was a very stiff textbook lecture type field, right? And you had that in self-study. And anything else, especially even just video games and manga by themselves, aren't, haven't been ex accepted mainstream until really recently, right? So it's it's only been quite recent that people are watching anime and playing video games has become quite normalized. Um, in Japan, it's a little bit more normalized, um, but still it holds a little bit of a stigma, right? 
Um, so I, I understand where it comes from, where people think that it's an inferior reason. But when you start going down that road where you're judging other people's reasons for enjoying something, it's just, it's negative and it's not necessary, right? Like if you have a passion, then you should, you know, feel free to go all into it as much as you want. Right? In my experience too, when talking to Japanese people, if I tell them, oh, I got interested because of culture largely, that's not like a, mm. that's not a thing that gets poo-pooed or anything. It's like, oh, cool. You like, you like that? Yeah. Too? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. You like Japanese culture. Yeah. Oh, cool. Video games. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. But I, I think language acquisition is such a, it's, it's a long and tedious road to get to a level where you can properly communicate in a language, right? It takes yeah. a lot of time and effort. Absolutely. And while I do think that is not to be underestimated, I would say it's even better than if you have a strong uh, passion, a strong motivating factor behind that learning process. Absolutely. Yes. For me, learning Japanese was, it wasn't the most enjoyable experience. It was, <laughs> uh, and I really wanted to make it uh, a more enjoyable experience. What I always kind of dreamed that it could be, trying to make it a little bit more fun, right? Connecting fun with education. And not in the way of gamification, but more in, as you said, studying a language takes a lot of time and it's a huge investment. Okay. Like I've been doing it for 10 years and it's still not, I'm not finished, <laughs> right? Like it, it keeps on going. So you don't want to be stuck with textbooks and Anki flashcards for 10 years. That sounds like a horrible, <laughs> horrible existence. So finding things that help motivate you, keep it up is incredibly important, whether that be TV shows, anime, making friends or, or video games, whatever it is. And at the same time, I think it is also very important to put things a little bit into perspective in that when I thought, cool, I'm going to study Japanese because I would like to play some video games in Japanese, I quickly realized it's not that simple. It's uh, it takes a long time before you get to a point that you can enjoy playing video games in Japanese. And right. your channel helps with that. But how do you even do that? How do you even do that? Because you have a lot to learn before you can, I would say, comfortably jump into your first video game in Japanese. Right. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like uh, hard mode. <laughs> yeah. If you think about it. Um, because it's very much like throwing you into... Um, throwing you into the deep end and being like, okay, swim. Um, but the, the good thing is, is that you have that motivation and that interest, right? Um, when you're reading a piece of text that you have no connection to, it, I couldn't imagine something more boring, right? That you can't have a connection to the language. But even as a complete beginner, complete day one beginner, if you try and read a piece of text that maybe you're familiar with from a video game and you can unlock it and you go, oh my God, that word, oh, and make that connection with that scene or that character or whatever, that's going to leave a much stronger impression, in my opinion. So for me, with creating a channel based around learning video games, uh, learning Japanese through video games, I'm thinking about how to be educational and also how not to be too heavy on that education, but enough so that it's kind of like a bridge between where you, who may not necessarily um, understand everything, I can help bridge those gaps and just make the transition easier for you with a kind of underlining philosophy of, well, if you do this enough, you will eventually wake up one day and be like, hey, I can do this, right? Because you will have seen the basic things enough that you will have picked up those building blocks and you'll get to that point where it's now it's just the same as any other language learner at an advanced level where you just 
getting new language, but the foundation has been learned. When I was at university, it was kind of looked down upon where it was like, mm. oh, manga, like there's the manga anime video game people who are in this class for that reason. Right. But I remember a professor of mine said, you know, J Japan's literacy rate is so high because people read manga and it's, it's less complicated than really difficult texts. And so there's nothing wrong with using that as an entry point because a lot of Japanese people do that too. And so I think that um, video games, especially if you have that connection, it can be really motivating to keep going with the language study. And I want to I ask, you mentioned kind of uh, the like, oh, I got it, like the Eureka moment. Do you have a moment that comes to mind for you where you, you started realizing like, oh, wow, I'm actually... I'm picking this up in video games as well as in my classes. I have I have several moments because I I, I jumped around um, because when you start off as a complete beginner without any assistance, obviously it's very overwhelming. I used to spend something like thirty minutes on on like a line of dialogue <laughs> and and go through it. But I think for me, Final Fantasy VII was definitely the big one because I knew the game so well growing up. I played that game more than anything else. Um, Final Fantasy VIII as well, I played a lot. But Final Fantasy VII, I played so much. So then playing it in Japanese, the whole experience of going through that game was like a nostalgic experience of re-experiencing those yeah. childhood memories, but also seeing it in a new way and, and, and a kind of the way it was intended originally. So you go, whoa, this is what the character's personality was actually like. Whoa, this is what... They actually said, whoa, oh my God. And all of this interaction with the characters, I wouldn't have been able to experience that if I hadn't tried to do it in Japanese. Um, reading a translation of that later would have been a much bore <laughs> more boring thing to do. So yeah. um, actually doing it yourself is, is a really unique and special experience. I can't think of a pinpoint uh, time, but I think just a lot of the first games like Final Fantasy VII, Dragon Quest IX, uh, things like that. Yeah. Do you feel like... Um it is kind of like you're getting the keys to the kingdom a little bit where, where you said like, oh, that character, that's, that's actually how he's characterized or that's what he's saying at this point. It is, it is cool to have those moments. Absolutely. And I think that's something that by the very nature of game localization, you cannot experience through localization because if you do a direct translation um, in the translation world, you would be considered a bad translator. Because <laughs> you're not you're not supposed to be translating one for one everything they say, which that means you have to take liberties, you have to take creative um, changes, and sometimes like what happened recently with a lot of games, but particularly Final Fantasy VII Remake, where people were very confused with what happened in the game because of those changes. Being able to do that in Japanese is such a yeah, it's like getting the key to unlock, you know, the truth. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, well, that's what happened. Oh. I had that very experience when I played Animal Crossing. I played it in English at first, and then I switched to Japanese because I felt like I was at a level that I could at least give it a shot. It was, by the way, still too early at that time, I realized right. shortly thereafter. But yes, then I realized all the nuances that are or the permeating meanings and characterizations within the utterances of characters that are in some form translated in the English version, but they they just have a different vibe. It has a different feel to them. Like the same sentence in Japanese can tell you a different thing about who this character is supposed to be and what relation they are to you. I think Animal Crossing is a really good example of that because of the, the mannerisms that they have and the 
the little pieces of language that are used to actually show their characteristics and um, you know who they are, how they speak, and things like that. Um, I think that's a really good example of showing that off. Yeah. But I'm wondering if I were to be a complete beginner and mm -hmm. I wanted to jump into a video game to play it in Japanese. Yeah. What kind of which kind of attributes should I watch out for? Because I can imagine that some video games are more easily accessible and others are much harder. For example, Final Fantasy VII Remake would probably completely overwhelm me at this point because of the technicality of the language, because it mm. flows in real time and these kinds of things. <laughs> the Nomura-isms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is it that you would watch out for? Which kind of criteria should a game fulfill for someone who's at a beginner stage and would like to say, I think I would like to try it at least and jump into a game? Obviously, number one, my number one recommendation is find a game that you enjoy, something that you're genuinely interested in. That's going to give you the motivation to power through it no matter what difficulty. However, for beginners, if you're wanting the most helpful um, attributes to a game that's going to help you learn, I would say you want to have a game that, number one, has furigana. That is just, without a doubt, the most helpful thing to have. Press to, talk, press to continue is another really important thing. Just as you said, if you try and play a game like Final Fantasy VII Remake, even if it had Furigana, it flies by so quickly. Having a game that you can press to continue to the next scene and take, take the language at your own pace, um, that's a really important thing. And then the next important thing that I would say is um, voice acting. Just because it's tough playing a game that doesn't have voice acting. You need to be in control of your own motivational Uh, factors. But if you have voice acting, I think it's really, um, it keeps your attention, it keeps you interested, and it keeps you listening to real Japanese. So even if you miss something, you're still getting some practice um, in, in the process. So if you can have those three things, then in my, in my, uh, in my view, you have a perfect <laughs> learning game. Uh, how is it for you, Dan? Because I know that you played a lot of games in Japanese, and you do play a lot of them in Japanese. Do you have a specific game that you would recommend to people i'm just asking you because you're also like super experienced in that regard i know like a recent game the, the game that i always point to i don't know that i would recommend it but it does help that there's disney characters in it and so it's kind of aimed at children is kingdom hearts um oh, but okay. i would say i would say that uh i recently played nino kuni which also felt very kind of introductory i just agree with everything that matt said especially the voice acting because one thing that you you don't really learn um, without speaking to somebody in Japanese is how it's supposed to sound. <laughs> and it's, it's so, it is so, um, discreet sometimes with inflection and different ways to pronounce certain words or how to end certain sentences in a way that, that makes, a, makes it a question or makes it sort of a, don't you agree with me kind of sentence that it really does help to actually hear people talk and hear how people might realistically speak. Absolutely. And I think it's a thing that actually helps um, the, the counter-argument that, that we started this conversation with talking about, well, video games are bad for learning because you'll learn all this bad mannerisms and you'll learn all these bad mm. things. Well, if you have voice acting, it will actually help you fix and correct those mistakes that you may make if you're reading it on your own. Uh, because... Uh, even today I was helping someone in discord, um, with playing, playing a game in Japanese and I could hear them reading the sentences out loud. And I was like, ah, it's, it's not quite that way. You want to say it a little bit differently. Um, if you had voice acting, 
I wouldn't need to do that. They'd be able to hear it and be like, oh, it's not said this way. So it can actually help um, almost prevent bad uh, habits and things like that if you have voice acting. So really, really important. When I think about these criteria and my experiences from playing now a couple of games in Japanese, I would say visual novels are something that I found really helpful, especially there, there are some visual novels where you can switch the language on the fly. Visual mm. novels where you can, in visual novels, you can usually like rewind or you can play the audio, uh, the, the, the voice acting again of, a, of certain yeah. lines. That can be really helpful. And one thing that I discovered just recently and that I found pretty neat is that in Pokemon Sword and Shield, it, while it does not have any voice acting, it does allow you to select whether you want a full kana script that just consists of uh, katakana and hiragana or whether you want a kanji script, which is, I, I personally would always go for the kanji script because I think it's easier to read, yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, just have this like, clump, clump together uh, kana. Yeah. But I think for like, for someone who's at an early beginner stage, this can be super helpful, especially to flick back and forth in order to just see, okay, what's the reading of this kanji? Yeah, yeah. And Pokemon has some other advantages as well, such as the the spacing that they have. They're really nice with the spacing. So you can see this bit is in its own little bit. This adjective is modifying this noun, and then it's spaced, and then this bit is connected. So rather than this big, long stream of unseparable Japanese that confuses you, Pokemon does help you with that, the spacing uh, as well. I don't mean this to sound, uh, you know, like I'm talking down to anyone, but it really is like I, the first manga that my uh, Japanese teacher ever gave to me was the first Dragon Ball because it's meant for kids. And so the vocabulary that you're going to learn and the grammar structures that you see, it is, it's like you're saying, the spacing is really important because mm. it's meant for a younger audience. So not that you listeners are a younger audience, but you are coming in at a level similar to a younger audience, perhaps. Right, right. And so it can it can really help. So it definitely is helpful, but there are some kind of false friends, I suppose you could say, um, with the Pokemon series and, and other things like that. Slang is is something oh, that <laughs> um, can really and and dialect can really get in the way of your understanding. Pokemon actually has quite a lot of that. Characters speak in very very strong personalities, right? So it's it's not always standard Japanese. Um, so it can get quite difficult. And Nino Kuni also falls into the same trap where Nino Kuni is a fantastic game. Uh, it's great. It's got Furigana, voice acting, wonderful. But um, your best friend talks in an Osaka dialect, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is very, very difficult to understand. And then everyone talks in slang or fantasy speech. So it can be, make it sometimes a little bit difficult. Not to say it's bad, but just there are certain challenges um, to certain games that you need to watch out for, yeah. Well, I feel I feel compelled to tell this story. So when I was uh, in my first class, I had gotten, uh, and listeners know this story kind of, I had gotten a copy of Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep from a friend of mine who had come back from Tokyo. And I was playing that in Japanese, and I uh, accidentally, in retrospect, said, Oh my referring mm. to another person in class. Right, yeah. And my, and my teacher got very upset with me. Yeah, yeah, you're so, starting to fight. Yeah, exactly. So there, <laughs> there's definitely words that if you don't have the context, you don't want to go around talking like that to random strangers. Right, yes. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah. And learning with media can get a bit dangerous like that. Um, but it's the same thing if you're learning English. Um, I have students at university who who learn English through watching movies, and they'll try and use the catchphrases that they hear 
in in the shows and something. And it will sound very, very weird sometimes when they don't quite get the nuance of how it's used, why it's used in that situation. Um, and yeah, and sometimes it can appear quite aggressive, you know, using language that shouldn't be used <laughs> in certain situations. Um, I, I've always been thinking about the the Omaya phrase. That's one that I also encounter constantly. Fire Emblem Three Houses is one such example where I was baffled to find that the students with uh, an astounding regularity address the teacher, you, because you play, you're playing as a university teacher, as Omaya. Oh, oh, right. Why is that? Why is it that it's so common to use a, a phrase or a, a way to address someone that in day-to-day -day or daily life would be considered like at least very casual, also slightly rude. How come that it's so popular in video games and in fiction? Often this type of language is used to add personality. Um, it can be used, for example, to make someone appear very casual, slang. Um, it, can, it can add depth to their character. Um, if everyone said you know, anata wa, anata, or something like that, or, or, or if they always use the person's name, um, it's, it's kind of boring, it's not very interesting, and it doesn't really have any personality behind it. So when you say something like omae, um, it, it, it shows this level of, you're, you are not talking to someone with respect, you are, you are talking either down at someone, or maybe you're angry, maybe you... Um, There are lots of situations in creative media where you're likely to use language that you wouldn't use in real life, right? And and that is for the sake of being interesting. <laughs> if, if if every media we read was the same as how we talk in normal everyday life, it would be really really boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think I think it has a lot to do with that. One of the cool things that that can do, though, especially once you get a little more familiar with the language. Is and I think uh, I'm not going to deign to understand, you know, why any creative person would write anything in any particular way. But I would think that in in Japanese media, a lot of times, if you hear a character speak a certain way, it's shorthand for who that character is. Mm. Where if you if you hear somebody using the kind of more familiar or rude language, you your brain immediately kind of shifts to, oh, I think this is probably meant to be like a more rough and tumble kind of character as opposed to a more honorable like knight or something if you're talking about a like a, a fantasy world or something like that. Do you find that you pick up on that as you play games where you realize like, oh, Ryuji is meant to be this kind of character because he talks like this? Definitely. Yeah, there are definitely character archetypes. Um, you know, you have the, the old stoic man who's always the strong, quiet type. Um, you have the, the, the kind of, nonchalant, don't really care, young guy character who speaks a little bit more slang. The Omai guy. <laughs> That's the Omai guy, basically. Yeah, yeah, the Omai guy. <laughs> you have, obviously, the very polite uh, characters who always speak in very um, eloquent um, keigo and, and, and very clearly and, and well-pronounced. And, 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 and yeah, you have the, the, the girl characters who speak in high-pitched voices and <laughs> with cute little <laughs> endings and things like that. And it definitely shows the character um, and, and what their personality is like through that, yeah. People often say that Japanese isn't as creative um, as English, for example, the language in itself. But I think these, these things that we're talking about right now is what helps give that creative depth to the language. Uh, that also, when you know Japanese and you understand why this was used in this situation, that also adds a little bit more of a subtle depth to the, the, the language itself 
through the context in which the language is used, right? Um, if, if you just translate omae, it's a pretty boring you, right? But if you actually look at the context of why they're saying it, uh, you could actually be a little bit more creative with the translation and maybe speak in a little bit more of a rough way or um, that type of thing. So I think that's especially something that happens once you get a little bit out of the comfort zone of the of your native language and open yourself up to understanding things in Japanese without translating it in your head directly. So the omae, yeah. you don't, so you can actually acknowledge the distinction between something like anata and omae without having to reduce it to some form of like uh, you. Yeah, so something that's been coming up a lot lately that I've really been thinking a lot about and I've been seeing is that it's much more important to learn how something is used than how it's translated. And there isn't really too much educational material out there that does that. Like, you don't usually learn something with then a blurb of how it's used. You normally learn something with one word, this is what it means. And, and that's not, you can't do that. <laughs> Japanese and English don't equal the same thing, right? Um, and so I think it's really useful to be able to get that. And I, I hope that I can help give some of that through the context of of the videos that I make and the explanations that I go through. And I, I try and do that not one-to-one, -one, but this is how it's used because I think that's a much more useful thing to learn. This is maybe a, a pedestrian example, but in I was watching your videos and in your Persona 5 video, um, you were explaining sort of the, the combat options. And what I loved about your explanation was that when you said, this phrase means ready your gun, right? You weren't saying like, this is literally what this means. This is you're making these preparations, you're, you're getting into this stance, like it has all of this context around it, that would, it's, it's much more meaningful than just the one to one translation of that verb, right? Yeah, well, because you could just give it the English translation that it has, you know, this is this, this and this, but then you're actually learning just the translation. You're not necessarily actually learning the Japanese and, 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 and how it is made up. And I think mm. even as a learner, I really wanted to learn in that way. I remember I used to beg, my, not beg, but harass my, my teachers all the time. Like, <laughs> why, 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 why does this mean this? Why? And, and the answer was always because it just is. And I, I never found that satisfying. I always wanted to find out exactly why. And doing that actually helped me get a, a stronger connection to the language because I could put the building blocks together and be like, oh, this is why. Uh, one that often comes up a lot um, with people asking is the the nakte wa ikenai combination. Because people learn that the whole thing together, right, means must, and then the thing shortened is just the short version. That's, you know, they learn that it's more polite and less polite. Whereas it would actually be much more useful, I think, if you learn, like, the first part is actually saying, if you don't. And the second part is saying what the result is if you don't do that action. Ikenai means it's not good. So what this means is it's showing that if you don't do something, something bad's going to happen. Therefore, you must do it, right? Um, and that's actually the context behind the expression nakte wa ikenai or nakte wa naranai. If you understand that, then you understand why it gets dropped. Because sometimes you don't need to say what's going to happen in casual conversation. You can just say, oh, I got to do this. Why? You don't need to explain that. That's why you can drop it. I think like when you actually unfortunately, literally translate sometimes can actually really help you in learning and understanding why it's there and how it's used. I had a 
a friend of mine in class who was, he was very much thinking the way that you are, where it's like, I, I just want it, just explain to me why this is right. And I learned a lot from him because he would stop the class a lot and say, <laughs> but why, why is it this? And I remember there was one, there was one point where my teacher who had, she was from, she had come over for a semester from Tokyo. And so somebody asked, how do you say jump in Japanese? And she said, uh, like, oh, I think it's to like jump, like the anglicized jump. Right, right. Yeah. And my, my friend stopped class and he just went, are you telling me that they didn't have <laughs> jumping in Japan before eight, the 1800s? <laughs> you know? And so then that became a whole, well, obviously there's, there's a word that you could use, but if you want to use that phrase, we would probably say, you know, so there's all this explanation behind it. So it's worth doing, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny with the anti-katakana English <laughs> group of people. Uh, I, I, I think I would definitely fall into that group. I, I don't want to learn English. <laughs> um, I, I want to learn Japanese. But, um, but sometimes it is a bit excessive. Like, um, if you play Metal Gear Solid, you will learn what the Japanese word for elevator is. Um, whereas a lot of Japanese people don't know. They, they don't know what elevator is in Japanese. They just know it's right elevator in katakana. Well, but now you need to say, since the, the katakana word is elevator, now you need to say what the Japanese word is. Right, so shōkoki. <laughs> shōkoki. Uh, there you go, shōkoki. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I think it's important to, to play games um, in Japanese when you're learning, because, you know, you might get a better feel for, if you were to ask, you know, shōkoki wa doko desu ka? Where's the elevator? A Japanese person may say, eh? <laughs> yeah, what are you talking <laughs> right. about? Yeah. What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's a bit, yeah, it's very strange. Right. So you have this channel game again goal that we obviously link in the show notes as well. And it's it's very successful. You've got over 12,000 subscribers at the moment, I think. Mm -hmm. yep. Approximating 13,000. It must be a whole lot of work to do these videos because when you browse through your, your your videos that you have, then you've got videos that have and that I can very much recommend as well because I'm you are helping me learn as well, and it's like uh, over four hours of going through all the grammar or all the verbs or all the kanji for a certain level. That requires a tremendous amount of dedication, doesn't it, to do it that way? Yeah, and and. It would have been much easier for me if I just decided to make an educational channel instead of also learning every single example through games because I have to play the games and find the examples and get the footage and, and edit it all together and, and make it look good. And <laughs> Like, for example, right now I'm just finishing the next Persona video and um, I've been working on it since New Year's and I mean like nonstop, like I haven't. Uh, I've actually been starting to feel a little bit sick because I've just been working. <laughs> I, I decided to take a break so I could, so I was in good health <laughs> for the interview now. <laughs> um, well, but um, usually, usually I work myself sick, and uh, yeah, I've been working full time for this video, and I'm just about finished now. But it's yeah, it's two and a half hours long, and I break down two hundred pieces of Japanese, and and um, yeah, go through the whole thing and get a bunch of kind of tells a cohesive story as well. So it's quite nice, but. Yeah, it takes a lot of work. Well, it shows, I must say. I mean, it's, uh, I, I would say that, you know, I, my Japanese practice is not as frequent as I'd like it living in the middle of Texas. Um, but I, watching your videos has been uh, a really great sort of refresher. And oh, well, thank just, you very much. Yeah, it's, it's, it really, uh, 
I, I wish you wouldn't work yourself sick, but I will say that it shows. <laughs> yeah, well, thank, thank you. you. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you for working yourself sick. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a perfectionist and um, I'm wanting to make something that I wish existed. So I don't want to make something that's just possible. I want to make something that I'd actually be really happy with. Um, so I really try and do my all, probably too much really for the YouTube format. <laughs> uh, YouTube uh, doesn't necessarily... Uh, I think YouTube is much friendlier to quick and easy content, but uh, I'm not really doing it for that reason, right? I just want to make learning Japanese fun. Um, and I also want to celebrate my love for video games and and, and go through and, and maybe help other people enjoy learning Japanese, help other people get introduced to some new video games and mostly just have fun. That's that's the most important thing. So if, if that costs my health, <laughs> then I'll do it. <laughs> oh, pl please don't let it come to that. But uh, at, the, at the same time, it's like, I think it's just important to emphasize this sometimes because we are also, we're doing a weekly show and uh, people probably can imagine that it takes a lot more time to put everything together rather than it takes to just listen to the show. And I think, though, when I look at what you do for your channel, and especially the, let's say, more extensive videos that you're doing, I think this is something um, that is profoundly valuable because you're basically building a huge catalog of resources that, you, that people can still come back to, and it's still going to be up to date in five years to come. You know, it's not going right. away. And that's why I think yeah. it's worth it to rather take the time and not to commit to this fast-paced YouTube algorithm logic, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so hopefully, hopefully, yeah, hopefully there's a lot of people out there who can find it useful. Um, but even if it's only um, the 12,000 or so that, that currently are subscribed, if that was the limit, then I, I would be completely content and happy with that because I, I'm just... I just want to make something that helps people have fun, learn Japanese. Um, if I were to just magically disappear from the world <laughs> all of a sudden, uh, I, I would hope that I left behind something that I'd be happy uh, could help people and you know bring some enjoyment. So, um, but for the for the health side of things, uh, this year is actually going to be a lot better because um, thanks to people supporting me uh, for my efforts, um, I, I'm, I'm actually going to be. Um, organizing next year a little bit uh, better this year sorry a little bit better um i've taken one day off uh from work <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so i now i now have a little bit more time yay <laughs> um, you're on the road <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that begs my final question if you had to start all over again your entire process of learning japanese your entire process of engaging with japanese video games specifically for the purpose of studying it what kind of advice would you give your younger self? Oh, geez. Um, Classic closure question. If I could give myself some advice. Shoot for two days off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I would say focus on enjoyment. Um, first thing, for the first and foremost, enjoyment should be the number one thing that you focus on. I know in the beginning, you're going to feel like it's an overwhelming darkness of things you don't know but every day you put in a little bit of work that darkness will get clearer and clearer and you'll be less and less overwhelmed every single day what's most important is that you enjoy the ride because this is something that it's there is no real end to learning a language right especially something as as complex and, and interesting and, and deep as japanese it, it doesn't just end i've been doing it for 10 years and i have see i see no end in sight <laughs> so Rather than focus on doing it as quickly as possible, rather than focus on cramming and trying to do everything as, as efficient as possible, that's the most fun-sucking word out there. Just enjoy yourself, right? Because 
if you keep at it and if you're having fun doing it, you might even make more progress than you even would if you did it the most efficient way possible because you can't wait to get back into it. You can't wait to keep learning. So just find what you enjoy and, and, and try and do it the best you can and, and don't be so hard on yourself, really. You're definitely going to have an easier time sticking with it because as it, as it goes on, as I, I found that the first couple of months of learning Japanese can be very satisfying because you're learning something new all the time. Mm -hmm. And then once you hit something that could be referred to as the plateau or something where you just don't notice the progress progress as much anymore, yeah. that's when it's really important that you are well-paced and that you are motivated and that you just keep going steadily, even though you might not learn something new every week. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you're, um, you keep at it, you're enjoying what you're doing then. Yeah, don't be so hard on yourself. I know so many people are so hard on themselves. Like, oh, I can't do this or it's too much work or, you know, they burn out and just, uh, just, it doesn't have to be that way. You can enjoy the ride, you know. Well, thank you so very much for the conversation. Of course, dear listeners, you can find Matt on his YouTube channel, Game Gango, which we link in the show notes and your Twitter handle, Game Gango as well. Uh, thank you so very much, Matt, for coming by. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Yes, thank you very much. That was our replay conversation on learning Japanese with video games with Matt from the Game Gengo YouTube channel. Thank you so very much for listening. Let us know how your Japanese progress is going and whether you are curious enough now to actually start learning if you haven't already. Submit your thoughts and questions to studyingpixels.com contact. And if you want to support our show, then you know that you can always go to studyingpixels.com plus. We're looking forward to hear from you See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.